0: Right. Thanks a for the book recommendations. Oh, too.
1: <laughs> of course. Thanks for, thanks for putting up with them. Hey everyone. I'm Anne Bogle and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 36. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Tiffany knows food. It's what she loves and it's what she does, writing over at the site Eat at Home for many years now. That love spills into her reading life too. She loves books with lots of food scenes and adores the bookish equivalent of comfort foods. Tiffany's a slow reader, so she wants to find books that are worth her time. We do just that in today's episode. Let's get to it. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you could talk with me today. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Well, Tiffany, I know you from the internet as a food fanatic, but I'm sure there's actually more to you than that. Can you round out the picture a little (laughs) bit for for me and for our listeners?
0: Yeah, I blog at Eat at Home and I write about food. I also have four kids and a son-in-law and a husband. Um, We've been married for almost 28 years And we're a homeschool family, although it looks a lot different now than it did when we started 19 years ago. So this is our 19th year of homeschooling. (laughs) Wow. But I know. But this year I have a senior in high school and he's doing a lot of college classes. And I have a eighth grader slash ninth grader and she goes to a cottage school. So you know a little bit about what that's like. I do. Yeah
1: and i love to read so that's that's pretty much me well that sounds it sounds like you have quite a bit going on so where do you wedge reading in to the picture there ah
0: yeah that one is harder <laughs> <laughs> i it depend i kind of binge with it so sometimes if I'm, if I pick up a knitting project, which I'm terrible at, but it's fun to do sometimes, or I'm watching a television show, then reading takes a back burner. It seems like I can only do one of those kinds of things at a time. Mm-hmm. So, and I've never gotten into the audio book thing. I should give it a try, but it, I just
1: haven't done that yet. So are you okay with not being an audiobook listener or is that something you aspire to one day?
0: I am okay with it. I I looked into I wanted to do um a book. I drive my youngest to class and it's a 45 minute drive. So I thought well we could listen to audiobooks on the way and the book I picked out I think was 14 or 15 hours. Mm-hmm. So even though we're driving, you know, over 2 2 to 3 hours a week in the car, it was going to take us 2 months to finish the book. Oh gosh. <laughs> so it's just not it, you know, it I don't know. It doesn't fit quite right yet, I don't think.
1: Yeah. You but know, that's okay. It is, yeah. So what role does reading have in your life in this season?
0: Reading for me is mostly comfort if we're talking about fiction, comfort food kind of fiction. I I don't tend to go real deep with my fiction, and I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> I also read a lot of nonfiction, uh-huh. all different kinds of things, but the fiction, I like to keep it pretty light and easy. I, I don't like to be shocked or get to some cringe-worthy section of a
1: comfort book. Comfort food. I like that analogy coming from you. Yeah, that's. Right. I'm all about the comfort
0: <laughs> in <laughs> my food and my books.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of listeners are going to feel very validated hearing you say that.
0: Oh good. I sometimes think it sounds shallow, but I'm okay with that too.
1: (laughs) So there's a place for that. Exactly. And I'd be surprised if you had totally fluffy books, just knowing you. So (laughs) we'll see. We'll see what happens. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home, and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison readcom What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code Reed, READ R-E-A-D, at madison-read, R-E-E-D, dot com. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and One Great Book Style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with a full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy-to-search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything-style conversations and events like our 90-minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash whatshouldireadnext to become a member today. patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. You warned me that there'd be a lot of food popping up here and I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> so let's let me hear the first one. What's book one?
0: Yes, my all-time favorite book is Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop
1: Cafe. That's funny. You know, is that where's that set, Tiffany? It is set in
0: Alabama. So I love Southern fiction. I think part of it is because Southerners like to write about food and they include that a lot. <laughs> 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 So I love that. Um, The book centers around a cafe that is run in, I think, the 1930s, if I'm remembering the time period correctly. And I just, I love the characters. I love how she uses letters and newspaper recordings, I think maybe even radio programs to weave the story together. And it bounces back from the 1980s and the 1930s. It goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I really like that.
1: So what would you say mm-hmm. to those of us who love the movie, but have never read the book, like myself?
0: Yes, the movie actually is quite good. You know, some, a lot of times when you see a movie after you've read a book, it is disappointing. In this case, it's, it, I think they did a great job with the movie. However, it's not the book. <laughs> <laughs> there are things in the book that I don't think it conveyed at all in the movie I can think of one character, especially, who actually reminds me of my grandfather, who um, and long time ago, when he was young, he rode the trains as a hobo. And this character in the book also does that. And I don't think that that character comes out very well in the movie. I don't think he has a big... I'm not even sure if he's in the movie at all. Uh-huh. But in the book, it's really touching, his character is. Okay,
1: so since I've never... Read the book, and I'm sure a lot of other people haven't either. Can you tell me how the author uses food to drive the story forward, or just to give color to the story? I'm just guessing here. It's your, it's your favorite. Tell
0: me about food. Food is just such a part of it. It seems in so many scenes she weaves in food. There's there's one scene where they go to a honey tree, and there's kind of a bee whisper, sort of in the secret life of bees sense, where they can go in and not get stung at all. Uh-huh it's just so vivid and and brings the scene so much to life. And then, of course, in the cafe, when they serve food, um, and even to this man who rode the trains and, and was a hobo, it, the food part of just feeding a person and nourishing them soul and body it just comes through so much in this
1: book. So the food it's is about great. more than just the food?
0: It is. I think it is. It definitely is. And then, of course, the line, the secrets and the sauce. I don't want to give away (laughs) by that line, but it's crucial to the book. And and you just find yourself cheering um, when they get to that part. It's it's really good. Okay,
1: That sounds good. That makes me want to read it. Oh, you should definitely read it. All right. What's book two?
0: Okay, book two is the I always have to look at the name of this book because it's so long. The title of it. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel
1: Pie Society. Mm -hmm. Yes, I left out the word peel for the first year that book was out. (laughs) And I never noticed. I don't know if anybody else did either.
0: I always forget the Guernsey part, even though part of the reason I love this book is because the setting is almost a character. And that's how I feel, too, about Fried Green Tomatoes. The, The place and the setting is so real and and so overpowering that it's almost a character unto itself. I love that. Well,
1: that sounds interesting. Tell us more.
0: This book takes place just after World War II, and it's, it's told largely through letters between a woman who was in London and a man who lives on the island of Guernsey, and they are connected because of a book. And it goes into a lot of what happened with the the people who lived on the island of Guernsey during the war, that island was actually occupied by the Germans and the potato peel pie society comes about because they're trying to get out of a, they were out past curfew. So they make up this, potato peel pie society.
1: Right. Because the now when I was reading this book, I had to Google to find out this was actually a real place and based right. not on specific real events, but on a real situation. So yes. they're recounting when the British island is under Nazi, what's the word? Rule? Ocu- how about occupation? occupation? Is yeah. that right? It's I've, been a few that years. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So tell me about, this is funny, Tiffany, I'm not the food writer or food blogger. I remember the potato peel pie, of course, but I don't remember what role food played in the book. Can you trigger our memories here?
0: In this one, I don't think food does play very much. And I think it's almost the lack of food plays a role in the book because all they had Uh were the potato peels. Uh Now, I, I have to admit, I get... Is there a scene in this book where they have a pig, or am I confusing this with a different book where they kill a pig and they they feast on it? Is, that, <laughs> is it a different?
1: My book? mind can conjure that scene, but I don't know if it's just the power of it's, suggestion. The I book know. is like close enough to touch on my bookshelf, but I don't think I, I could flip to the through the two hundred something pages and get answer. <laughs> I don't know, but I can see how. So in this time of scarcity, mm-hmm. it's something everybody wants and nobody has.
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot more that way with the food in this book. So it's the, there's food in the title, but not really because a potato peel pie, that, that can't be
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't sound like a good idea.
0: Right. But that's, I think that's the situation that they were in. Yeah. So this one I don't love so much for the food. I just, I don't know. I just totally fell in love with the characters, with the whole story. I, I the sense of reading those letters, I don't know. She, the author was just so good with the way she wrote this book.
1: Yeah, a lot. That's been a really popular one the last few years. You're in good company. Not that yeah. you need to be, you know, validated on your favorites, <laughs> but I think a lot of people are um, cheering along with your pick.
0: Yes. And both this one and Fried Green Tomatoes, they're comfort food reading. They're easy to read and and so welcoming. But there are deeper themes that go in both of those books. There's a lot to chew on.
1: Definitely, yeah. They're not. They're not shallow. Right. All right. Now I'm curious to see what you pick for book three.
0: Okay, book three is "Come Rain or Come Shine," which mm-hmm. is the last and most recent um, book in Jan Karen's series, um, the Mitford series. And this one just truly is comfort food it there are some themes in it and things to think over family themes what is family but mostly this one is just if you've enjoyed the mitford series at all you definitely want to read this one because it it ties everything together and you just want to be there it's like going home again
1: okay now i've only read book one of the mitford series a very very long time ago okay do you want to give me a pitch for picking up with book two Yes. So, That's yeah, a big investment at this point. It
0: is. Yeah. So book one starts off with Father Tim and a lot happens to him over those 10 books. So I don't want to give it all away <laughs> for you. But I think in book one, he does meet Dooley, a little boy named
1: Dooley. I don't know if you remember that or not. It's been a long time. I think I read Mitford the year it was published.
0: Yeah. So, so it's been a long time. How many years is that
1: now?
0: <laughs> I have Ten? I don't maybe more than ten. It's been a bit no, more I, than I, I ten. I don't remember
1: Dooley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he's a little boy in the book, and in Come Rain or Come Shine, it's about his wedding. So he's all grown up and I love how Jan Karen brings the story of redemption and hope. And she she makes you look at your everyday life and the everyday people that you have in your life in a new way. And I really like that. She also writes a lot about food. There's a lot of food in this book. They do a potluck wedding, which is interesting. Oh, fun. Have and you ever
1: been to a potluck wedding?
0: I have not. But yeah, it,
1: it's good though.
0: They tried to keep the wedding simple. And as mm-hmm. weddings, it, we planned my daughter's wedding a couple years ago. No, simple is so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> as far as weddings go. But it, it's a fun book. I really
1: like it. Do you want to tell me about the fourth pick you wanted to wedge in?
0: Yes, I wanted to put in The Help. And again, because of the food thing, and it's a Southern book, which I love, and the characters are just fantastic. It's got the redemption and the hope, and it's such a great book. But mostly the food (laughs) (laughs) in that book is so good. That Crisco scene is amazing. And I think it's partly because... The reason the food speaks to me in books is because it's so tangible. It's so everyday and you have that experience. And especially in a Southern book where the food is familiar and homey, it evokes what they're trying to say and makes you feel like you're in there. So when she gets to that Crisco scene, I can easily see that Crisco's being scooped out of (laughs) the container and put down into that hot iron skillet. Because I remember my aunt doing it. I remember Mm -hmm. my mom doing it. I've done it myself, although it's been a very long time since I've cooked with Crisco. (laughs) But it's
1: not hard to remember at all. Well, you're not in the deep, you're not in the part of the country that I imagine frying up Crisco in a cast iron skillet. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Indiana,
0: but my mom was from Kentucky and I actually live in Lexington now. Mm -hmm. So
1: we're We're right down the road. (laughs) Your favorites clearly have a lot in common. What is the book you hate? I'm curious to see how this fits into the picture. Ah, the book I hate is Gone Girl. That seems like a low hanging fruit. I know. But we'll give it to you.
0: (laughs) The only reason I read it was because it was a book club book. And I plowed through, I kept thinking everybody's talking about this book. Everybody loves this book. So I kept reading and kept reading, thinking when I'm going to get to the part that, why does everybody love this book? I think I got 80% of the way through. Uh And I finally thought, I cannot take these characters another minute. And I actually Googled for the ending. This is the (laughs) only time I've ever done that. And still, when I read the ending, I'm like, for crying out loud, this is the worst book ever. (laughs) I just hated it.
1: Did you go to the book club discussion? Okay. Yes. And how was that?
0: Well, our book club discussions have a lot more to do with eating in a restaurant than
1: <laughs> discussing the book. Have you seen those <laughs> um the posters on Pinterest that say my book club only reads wine labels?
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of like that.
1: <laughs> all right. So, I guess it's fruitless to ask if you had a great discussion that redeemed it a little bit. But are you able to like pull out exactly what it was about that reading experience that made it not enjoyable for you?
0: Yes, it was the characters. I I didn't like them. And just when you think that you know which character maybe you can sympathize with a little bit, mm-hmm. you actually can't. They're all equally stupid and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I could not take, I didn't understand why any of
1: them were doing what they were doing.
0: Like there seemed to be no reason for them to be acting the way that they were. Do
1: you ever find yourself just like loving to hate a really bad character or is that not an emotion you relate to?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it, uh, Especially Fanny Flag sets up some characters where they get what's coming to them, mm-hmm.
1: oh, and that's yeah. you know
0: that's fun to see that, and I can I can even take characters who make decisions that I wouldn't personally make, but they have their reasons for doing it. Mm-hmm. I can handle that, but these characters didn't. I don't see them having any reasons for it. It just was crazy. It was like the author thought. What can I make these characters do that would be the craziest thing they could ever do? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. The most destructive things. Got
1: it. So, didn't make sense to me. Wanton, nonsensical destruction. Not for you. <laughs> Not for me. Okay. I can work with that. <laughs> Tiffany, what are you reading right now?
0: Right now, I just started The Boys in the Boat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm loving it. I just, I'm probably only 50 pages in. So, I just started it last night. But it's really good. I, I've heard from so many places that this book is good and no wonder. It's I think I'm gonna
1: really like this one. Good. I'm glad you're enjoying that. Yeah. Um at the time you filled out the form, you were reading The Sweet Life in Paris, but that was forever ago.
0: Yes, I did. And that brings that can be an answer to another one of your questions. I didn't I've never finished that book I got about halfway through and it got away from me and and I've never went back the
1: boys in the boat is a like it's a great nonfiction pick and a lot of people have commented that it reads like a novel it's got that great built in narrative drive like there's a race you're building towards the like grand finale of the Olympic win. Um And you said you read a lot of nonfiction, but none of your favorites are nonfiction. So I almost expected, when you said food and books in the same sentence, to get a slew of foodie memoir.
0: Yeah, I I do read some food memoirs, but I guess they don't make my favorites. That is kind of interesting. I don't
1: I don't have a reason why I enjoy them. Don't defend your choices. (laughs) I was just curious and. Is it so nonfiction reading when it's about food, does that feel like work? Does is that professional development to you? Or is that something that you can relax in and read like it's comfort food?
0: It doesn't feel like work so much, but I think part of part of why maybe they're not my favorite books is because most food memoirs are about something about well, like the Paris books. They're a little unfamiliar course we just got back from Paris so now it's a little bit more familiar (laughs) (laughs) jealous maybe because I like the comfort food kind of style of reading Mm -hmm. I prefer those southern kind of books that are super familiar to me I like reading about other places and other things but maybe that's why I don't know That's a good question that's something to ponder over it doesn't really feel like work though Although I guess there is a little bit of an aspect of that too, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think I think about food all the time, <laughs> and it gets tiring. Uh-huh. But then I pick books that have food in them, so I, I'm a contradiction. I guess
1: that's okay. We all should be. It makes it interesting, <laughs> especially as readers. Right, Tiffany. Is there anything you want more of in your reading life? More reading would be great
0: <laughs> just to carve out the time for that. I'm a slow reader. Mm-hmm. I, and whenever I try to read faster, I just find that then I'm going slow and I'm savoring it again. So I think I just need to make peace with that. And one thing I would like to, I don't want to do it, but I would like to have it done is a list of books that I've read. Whenever I've tried to keep track of that, it feels like work and it takes the fun out of reading for me. Mm-hmm. So I've given up on it. Mm-hmm. But it would really be nice to have the list completed of what I've read. Uh-huh. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah,
1: Maybe we should do an episode on that sometime because so many people say that that's a big challenge they have too. Okay.
0: That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. That's good that I'm not alone. No, you're
1: definitely not alone. Okay. I have ideas for you, but I know I say this a lot, but I have a whole lot of questions first because I feel like we could go in a lot of different directions because there's a lot of, there's a lot of great novels that we could call comfort food. Mm
0: -hmm. We'll be right
1: back and talk all about it after the break. Okay, Tiffany. So you're pretty clear on what you like. You know, you say that you read for comfort and you don't really want challenging books, but you've chosen some really high quality contemporary fiction I mean, these aren't, shoot, I want to say like nothing to shake his tick at, like my grandma would say. (laughs) Um, So that's definitely what I have in mind for you books that have depth but are easy to read. You know, almost that have the meaning that stick up or that sneak up on you because it just, it goes down so easy. I think you wouldn't appreciate anything crazy long. If you're a slow reader and you want to read more, at least you could feel like you're getting through more books. I think you can feel, or at least I feel like I'm reading more when I'm reading shorter books, Mm -hmm. just because I can see the stack of individual titles I've read piling up. Reading a 900 page book over three months doesn't make me feel like I accomplished as much. No. Fitting right in with your picks, an author named Kristen Harmel is coming to mind. Have you ever read anything by her? No, I have not heard of her. Well, she has an interesting professional story. She started as a chick lit author, and that is what she called herself. um, Italian for Beginners was her like big breakout novel. But then she made like a conscious pivot to write more serious Fiction. And it's not serious literary fiction, but it has about the same like tone, style, heft as the help. I'm gonna describe this and I think it'll come to light. Like what's why it's coming to mind for you. Hey readers, Anne here. As you're about to find out, I got so carried away with my enthusiasm about this pick for Tiffany. I totally forgot to share the title. It is The Sweetness of Forgetting by Kristen Harmel. Okay, back to Tiffany. So this is about a baker who lives in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and she receives some news right at the beginning of the book. Um, Her grandmother, this is gonna sound so depressing, it's really not, although I understand if you if you or anyone listening is in a family situation where you do not want to read about memory loss or dementia, um, you want some distance between yourself and stories like that, this is not the book for you right now. But um, her grandmother's dying. She has Alzheimer's. Her moments of lucidity are becoming um, fewer and far between. And that sets up this race against time. Sounds a little dramatic. That sounds more like a Nicolas Cage movie than a like, <laughs> contemporary women upmarket fiction novel, but, you know, it is what it is. So she, her grandmother, is hinting at a family secret that this baker named Hope needs to go to Paris to uncover. So she is a baker. She's gotten a lot of recipes from her grandmother. She works in the bakery, which I believe is facing a financial crisis that she's trying to resolve quickly. But the story, the history of the story, and then the present-day story are told through the lens of these different baked goods, especially hamantaschen that the grandmother made, and then the granddaughter is now making and selling in her bakery. And for reasons that will become clear, there's a weaving together of cultures represented in the people's lives, but also in the baked goods themselves. So hope goes to Paris and is piecing together fragments of her family's histories and finds out a lot about her family and their past concerning the war and the Holocaust and how they came to America that she had no idea about. And it's uh, very easy to read. It's not real long. It's just a little over 350 pages, I think, maybe just over 300. So it goes down smooth, but the themes are such that you will find yourself like returning to it to think about the topics long after you finish the last page.
0: Oh How does that, that sound? sounds oh it sounds fantastic. It does. with the baked and the bakery and Paris and yeah, that That's sounds right. Great. They just get back. Yeah forgot about that.
1: Yes, that sounds wonderful. Okay. All right. Well we're gonna stick with that for book one. For book two, there are so many different directions we could go. Okay, so I'm debating like an American childhood classic. There's a novella that's about 50 years old that I think is so, so... Actually, you know what? We're talking about food. We have to talk about this. So have you read or seen the movie (laughs) Babette's Feast? No, but
0: funny thing, my son is taking a communications class at Asbury University, and that is the first movie they're going to watch as part of this yeah we had to get the netflix disc so that he could see this movie so i will watch it with him it sounded really good when i read the description
1: yesterday this is one of those stories where the movie i think the movie's about 20 years old won a whole bunch of awards where the movie and the i don't know i think it's about 60 pages is that a novella a short story yeah Maybe a short story. It's not real long. So you could have a yeah, sense of accomplishment. That's... And they're subtly different. The movie is generally agreed to be um, true to the book. Interesting. This, yeah. Like that doesn't happen a lot. And it took two full hours to bring a 50, 60 page story to light. So maybe. maybe yeah, that's, that's what's surprising yeah. to the story. I mean, it's not quite the Polar Express scale of padding and material, <laughs> but. It works. You know, in a two hour movie, you have to cut out a lot of stuff from a 300 right. page book. But if you make it from a 60 page book, you don't need to do that. Um, do you know anything about what you're getting into with that Netflix disc?
0: Only just what the description on Netflix, which honestly wasn't great. It, said it sounded <laughs> pretty good, but not, you know, it was pretty vague as okay. well. Well, this
1: is a great setup. And do you know there's a Paris connection? I didn't realize this was going to be Paris, 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 Paris. I'm all in for that. That's good. Okay, so here's what we have. This is by Isaac uh, Denison, which is actually a pseudonym for a woman named Karen Blixen. And it was written, I think, about like the 1950s. This is a story set in 19th century in Scandinavia. It's in a remote coastal town. And this woman, Babette, is a refugee from France's civil war. No one in the town knows her background, but this is probably going to be on the Netflix disc. So she comes to town with nothing, knowing nothing no one. She has a letter of introduction that says, take her in and give her a job. And she becomes housekeeper for free for these two elderly sisters. And she slowly, over time, is more or less accepted by the stodgy traditional community. And she's their unpaid servant, basically. And she makes their, in the movie, it's pretty nasty. She makes their fish and gruel the way they like it. Until one day, she wins the lottery. So after the lottery, it comes to light. Let's see. I'm debating how much to tell you. Babette has a past that no one knew anything about. And she spends all her lottery winnings on putting on this one spectacular feast for all the members of the community. Like no one has ever seen anything like it before. Mm -hmm. And she just like shoots the moon with her lottery winnings. And at the very end of the story, you find out why it was so important to her to do this. And it's such a like, sweet, powerful story. And it's about, it's about food and community and the secrets we keep, but also about um, like when opposite things come together, like opposite values, people from totally different stations in life, and the unexpected ways that food can bridge those gaps. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds fantastic. That sounds
0: really good. And I I can picture myself sitting on the couch after I read this book and then watch the
1: movie with my son going, this is
0: fantastic, and (laughs) him looking at me like, oh, my
1: gosh, Mom. (laughs) Well, that is incredible. That's his assignment. I can't wait to hear what you think and also what he thinks with your rather different perspectives.
0: (laughs) Yes, that sounds really good.
1: Okay, book three. I have several titles in mind, but I think this one, if you haven't read it yet, fits in more squarely with Guernsey and The Help and Fried Green Tomatoes. So we're going to go with it. All it's right. Helen Simons' novel, Major Pettigrew's Last Stand. Have you read oh, it?
0: Oh, I have not. Someone recommended it to me recently, but I have not read it. In what it.
1: context did they recommend it? I don't remember. Okay. Just that it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that depends. Okay, so this came out about 10 years ago. It's her debut novel. And she wrote it out of an MFA program. And it's well known. And some critics were like kind of mean about the fact that it's written in like a very formal three-act structure. But I didn't realize this till I was finished and read the reviews and went, oh, you know, maybe I should have noticed that. So this is a cranky old man story there is a widow a widower that's major Pettigrew, who's grieving the loss of his wife so at first you meet him and he's just a total curmudgeon complaining about how his quaint british town is absolutely going to pot because people are drinking herbal tea and i don't know tossing their cigarette butts into the street not not saying (laughs) sir when they end their sentences you know like it it's a horrible world and he's just barely putting up with it so at first, you think he's a cranky old man, but as you get to know him, and you do that especially through the lens of the Pakistani store owner he becomes friends with, Mrs. Ali, you find out that he's dealing with, with grief and that she's dealing with her own. So you have these two unlikely characters coming together to be friends. And when I say unlikely characters, I mean solidly through the eyes of this very traditional town with very firm ideas about what is and isn't proper. Mr. or Major Pettigrew is not the kind of man who would buck convention, but through this friendship with Mrs. Ali, he didn't set out to do it by any means. Like he would never set out to do something untraditional, but he ends up doing just that. So you have Major Pettigrew who's all like stodgy British tea and biscuits, and you have Mrs. Ali who's Pakistani gourmet cook and shop owner. So food plays a big part in the story and represents them coming together. And then everything comes to a big head in this story when um there's a dinner dance at the local club and it has an Indian theme and Indian should be in quotation marks in your head because it's very poor taste and in the book. And, um, I mean, and that's the point that Simonson is making and that major Pettigrew and Mrs. Ali are just really embarrassed by, but, um, yeah coming together of cultures with food and unlikely people and it's just it's a sweet winsome kind of story and as far as like where it falls on the spectrum of literature it's at that like very readable novel you know it goes down easy um but has really deep themes that resonate
0: how does that, that sounds sound good that sounds really good right up my alley
1: okay. excellent i'm glad to hear that of those three titles what do you think you'll read next
0: well, I'm going to definitely have to go with Babette's Feast just because of the time limit. I think that Isaac needs to watch that movie in October or maybe before, which sounds kind of far away now, but I think it's coming up soon. Well, you so I want to read Netflix. it. Netflix, they're dispatch. Yeah, I want to read it before before that. But then after that, Major
1: Pettigrew's Last Stand. That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tiffany today. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Tiffany should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 36. That's the numerals three six, And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Quick note, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews help iTunes promote us, which helps new readers find us, which is so appreciated. What Should I Read Next has a wonderful sense of community, and this is a way you can help us grow and reach more people with reading love. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.